right, this is the third week. To recap, really quickly, the story, the illustration of the circle maker is a guy by the name of Hani, first century before Christ. They were having, experiencing a drought that threatened the existence of an entire generation. Hani went into the town square and he started praying. He took his staff and he drew a circle around himself. And he said that I'm not leaving this circle until you make it rain. And so Hani was the first guy to really pray for it. And, you know, he was the, he's the make it rain guy, not the commercials for Taco Bell. And so he, he was praying for God to make it rain. And, and they got a few drops. And he said, this is not the kind of rain I prayed for. And so then God just sent a downpour of, of raindrops that, that eyewitnesses said were the size of eggs. And then he says, this is not the kind of rain that I prayed for, praying for a rain of your blessing that fills cisterns. And so then they slowed down and they got a nice drizzle, saturating rain that saved the nation. And that is the story of the circle maker. In standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently test higher than American children. You probably knew that, you're probably familiar with that, but... Researchers, scientists have asked the question, why? Now, we might assume that it's because they have a natural ability for math and for arithmetic that exceeds our, our ability, and that's what, was, that's what had been assumed, but the researchers wanted to figure out the truth, so they tested them. They gave American and Japanese children a really difficult math problem to solve, and the point wasn't to solve the problem, they were testing something different. What they discovered is that, on average, American children spent 9.47 minutes trying to solve the problem, while Japanese children spent 13.93 minutes, which is about 47% longer trying to solve the problem. So the primary difference between American children and Japanese children was not intelligence, it was persistence. They were more persistent at working the problem. Persistence is a big deal. It's, it's a big deal in life, and it's a big deal in prayer. It, it doesn't matter who's the smartest person. It, it doesn't matter who knows the most about Scripture. It doesn't matter who, who's been in church the longest. It, it, it doesn't matter who, who's been walking with Jesus for the longest. What matters is persistence in prayer and persistence in pursuing righteousness and persistence in pursuing that relationship with Jesus. We, we might be, you know, you know, I've been a Christian for most of my life. It would be about uh, 32 years now, but 32 years of walking with Jesus does not mean I am mature. Hopefully I'm mature, but it doesn't mean I'm mature. What makes me mature is pursuing, persistently pursuing my relationship with God on a daily basis. Whether it's athletics or academics, music or math, there are no shortcuts. There's no shortcut to becoming good at music, no shortcut to becoming good at math. No substitutes, no substitutions. Some people might have a little bit more of a proclivity towards one thing or the other, but it still will not get them where they could go if they're persistent. There was a study done more than a decade ago by Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at Berlin's Elite Academy of Music with musicians. With the help of professors, they divided violinists into three groups, world-class soloists, good violinists, and those who are unlikely to play professionally. All of them started playing at around the same age, up until about the age of eight. 
That's when their practice habits diverged. The researchers found that by the age of 20, the average players had logged more than 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinists had totaled about 8,000 hours, and the elite performers set the standard with 10,000 hours. You've probably heard this statistic before. While there's no denying that innate ability dictates some of your upside potential, your potential is only tapped via persistent effort. Persistence is the magic bullet, and the magic number seems to be 10,000. The emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything, notes neurologist Daniel Levitin. In study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, music or master criminals, and everything else that you can imagine, this number comes up again and again. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. It seems that it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. Is prayer any different? Should we expect to have a miraculous, thriving prayer life when we only pray a few minutes a week or a few minutes a day? Should we expect God to work miraculously in our lives if we only seek Him when we want something from Him or need Him to do something for us? Prayer, like most of our walk with God, is a habit that has to be developed, it's a discipline. Now, does this guarantee that after 10,000 hours of praying that your prayer life will be amazing? You'll be like Moses, whose face glowed when he spent time with God? Why not try to find out? Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be spending our time together this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up there. Luke chapter 18. Timley says, wow, I'm a world-class expert procrastinator. <laughs> Spent 10,000 hours procrastinating. I'm probably good at that, too. <laughs> so if you do something eight hours a day for a year, that's 3,000 hours? Yeah. Full-time? So this is a commitment. It is, it is an elite exercise. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will be an elite group of prayers here at 6A Church. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should pray and never give up. So Luke is great uh, oftentimes about setting up the context of the parables of Jesus so Luke makes it clear that the reason that Jesus was teaching and sharing this parable was so that his disciples would always pray and never give up. So that's the point of the story. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. 
Well, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or, or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm not going to get into any details about that statement. We'll just leave that for another time. <laughs> this woman is driving me crazy. She's wearing me out with her constant requests. Like a boxer who is smaller than their opponent, this woman was going 12 rounds with the judge. She, she was going to wear him down with her requests. Reminds me, I, th I think it's from uh, Big Bang Theory when Leonard is talking about uh, his ability, his, the way that he won Penny, the next door neighbor, to be his eventual wife. He says, you know, you never seem, you've never seen my ability to wear someone down. This is praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on me. A lot of us treat prayer like a once-in-a-lifetime visit to the President of the United States. Not very many common folk like myself. I'm not going to say you. I'm not going to say you're common folk. But common folk like myself are never going to get the opportunity to meet the President of the United States. We're not going to get called to the Oval Office and, and, and you know, get to spend some time with the President. But... If you got that opportunity, if you got called into the Oval Office to just sit down with the president and, and share a cup of coffee or tea or jamba juice or whatever it is that you like to drink, what would, you, what would you say with that one opportunity that you had, that one shot that you got with the president? I don't know. I don't know what you would say, but I, I might have a few opinions about, about this thing or that thing. Or I'd say, well, we, we really need to be focusing on this. Or, well, if, if you would really just do this instead of that, it might help. Or who knows what I might say. The sad truth is that that's how a lot of us treat God. That like, like we're only going to get this one moment of God's attention in our whole lives. And, and we wait, you know, maybe just wait forever and ever and ever to be invited into the Oval Office and, and we're never really hearing that invitation. We're just waiting for our opportunity to get before the President. But what Jesus is saying is that it's actually the opposite, that, that God hears the people who are persistent at fighting and knocking and trying to get before the judge. Question, does the judge know you by name? Not because we know, biblically speaking, he knows my name. You know, he knows the name of everyone. He knows the hairs on our heads. But, but does the judge know your name because you've been so persistent at coming before him with your problems and knocking on his door and saying, give me justice in my dispute with my enemy? How about the clerk? Or the bailiff and the stenographer, do, do they know you by name? Like, oh, here comes Beatrice, that crazy widow again. And I'll go ahead and check her in, give her a number, and I'll let the judge know that she's back. Does the judge know you by name? This last Wednesday, uh, I celebrated or marked eight years since I became the pastor here at 6-8 Church. 
Next week, Harper's going to turn nine, which means she turned one right after we started here. That's how, how long ago that was. On my first Sunday here on February 10th, I led worship, and that was the Sunday that the senior pastor before me announced that he was resigning, and there were about 80 people here. The following Sunday, my first sermon here was February 17th, and that Sunday we had around 45 people at, at church, and that was about the um, number of people that stuck, it around, stuck around and stayed, and some of those drifted over the next few months. Some of them stayed for a while. But I remember the, the first six months of my ministry here at Six Day Church really clearly. I remember praying a lot. I remember, I remember this kind of sense of desperation that we all had, that if this place was going to survive, it was going to be up to God to keep the doors open. During that summer, a few months after I had, I had started, we formed what we called the core team. It was our first core team. And that was the group that came up with the block party and the first block party that we put on to help build a bridge into the community and get to know some of the people in the neighborhood around us. And as leaders, as a core team, as volunteers, we worked and prayed very hard. For, for the whole first year leading up to that first Easter, or, which was technically my second Easter, my first Easter was a few months after starting here, but... I'll never forget my first Easter because I did this whole thing about death and wrath and, you know, talking about, you know, and had these words put up on these screens that are back here, wrath and death and all these things. And we were playing and all the, the, the words death and wrath and, and sin and destruction and rebellion, all the, we had them taped on the screen and they all fell down while we were, while we were worshiping, which was kind of fun. But we prayed and we trusted God, and, and God actually surprised us with his provision on, on a number of occasions. In fact, God so far has never, give, never given us way more than we could use at the moment or in the near future, but he's always provided what we needed. And I'll always remember we, we were about to run out of money. Not long after I started here, shortly after Easter, and that's been like a theme throughout our whole time <laughs> the whole time here. It's like, it's like we're always about to run out of money this whole eight years. So that's one reason I don't worry too much about money. It's one reason I always forget to mention offering. You know, the offering box is back there. I should mention it more often. But God has always provided for us, and I believe that he always will. But a few months, we were, we were almost out of money, and the church had a trailer that they used from, from their days when they were uh, a mobile church. And they had all, that had all the equipment in it that they'd roll into the school and set it up. And, this, and the trailer had been for sale out front for months and months. And, and literally the week that we were about to run out of money, a guy who had driven by that trailer a whole bunch of times decided to stop in and buy the trailer. He'd been driving past it for months and months, and he just decided that day to, to stop in and buy that trailer, and the money from that trailer was what got us through the next few weeks. And, and God just seemed to have a way to provide for us over and over again in unexpected ways. One thing that was kind of an airmark of that time was, was that... that uh, we were... We were we were desperate for God to do something. We knew, we knew the only way we could survive is if God did something, and we sought him and we sought him. I, I think probably over the next couple of years, we maybe stopped seeking him so much. I know I wasn't nearly as desperate 
in the following couple of years as I was in the first year. And I feel desperate again. I felt desperate for the last several years for God to, to really move in our church and for God to, to really answer our prayer, to, to bring life here to this church. Not, not just people, but, but new life, new life in Christ. You know, we, we really want to see new people brought into the kingdom through this church. We want to disciple new believers through this church. That's our desire, has been all along, to be disciple makers, making disciple makers is our dream. And feeling really desperate for God to do that again, that, that, that God would really move in our hearts as a church and that he would start to plant seeds in the hearts of people outside this church that, that we're connected to and, and start to draw them in through our lives and through relationship with him, that they would start to experience a, a pull that they can't explain to come and, and participate in what God is doing at 6A Church and that there would just be this, this urge that we have that we want to make disciples. We're not satisfied with just going to church and, and pretending to do church and play church like we've done it our whole lives. We want to be people who are passionate about building the church that Jesus died to build. And I'm starting to feel some of that again. I hope you are starting to feel some desperation for that. But are you desperate for the judge's intervention in your life? Are you desperate for the judge to intervene in the situation that you're in right now that, that just feels impossible like if he doesn't intervene, you're not going to make it out on your own. Are we desperate? Because desperate times call for desperate measures, and I would say now is a pretty desperate time. Oftentimes, I think we get distracted with the proper protocol for prayer. Like, like we, we can't pray to God as followers of Jesus Christ until we've learned, you know, the methods and, and, and all the different ways for, for how to pray, for, for how to intervene for somebody and how to do all of the different kinds of prayer that are mentioned in Scripture. But to be honest, I don't think God cares much about the protocol for prayer. I think he wants us to want him and if we're wanting him more than we want anything else, we can say, I think, almost anything to God, maybe even anything to God, and it'll be okay. God wants us to come to him, to walk with him, to communicate with him, to, to spend our lives in pursuit of him. Have you ever taken desperate measures in prayer? Have you ever been like the widow who, who prayed and begged and sought intervention from the judge? Well, long before Hani drew that circle in the sand in the first century B.C., there was a prophet by the name of Elijah who went up on a mountain, and he also prayed for rain. And he prayed, and he sent his servant out six times to go over to the sea and see if there was any sign of rain. And he would pray, and the servant would go out to the, to the ocean and come back to Elijah and say, there's nothing. There's not a cloud in the sky. There's, just, there's nothing for as far as the eye could see. And he would go, and he sent him out the first time, and the second time, and the third time. And, and, and Elijah is still up on the mountain praying, and the, and the servant would return, would return back. And there's, just, there's no sign of rain, no sign of rain, up until the sixth time. And that's where a lot of us give up. So we pray the prayer the sixth time, which is a number that represents man in Scripture. It's a number that represents what we are able to do in our own strength. And, and we pray all the way up until we think that we've done everything that we can and we stop. But Elijah kept praying. And he prayed one more time. 
probably true that Elijah would have prayed 10,000 times if that's how many times it took sending his servant. But on the seventh time, his servant returned to him and said, there is a cloud up in the sky the size of my hand. One of my favorite worship songs is that song called There is a Cloud. And when Elijah heard this, he, he said, you got to go tell the king because rain is about to come and it's, it's about to pour. But what if Elijah had stopped on the sixth time? What if Elijah had given up after he prayed this prayer six times? Or, or what if the Israelites stopped after circling Jericho six times? What if, they, what if they gave up on this, on this sixth circle and they said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we look like idiots. We're just walking in circles around Jericho. What do we think is going to happen? And they just gave up after six. Don't we, don't we kind of do that in, in our lives where, where we pray and we pray and, and we, we believe and, and we expect that God is going to do something, that God is going to move in a miraculous way and, and we have this faith that it's going to happen and we pray 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 And pray. Well, I guess God doesn't care about me. I guess God doesn't want to answer my prayers. I guess I'm the, I guess I'm the one guy that God doesn't want to answer prayers for. I guess I'm the one child of his for whom the promises of Scripture do not pertain. And we give up. On six. Don't give up on six. Don't give up on the sixth time around Jericho. Don't give up on, on the sixth time that you've prayed. Pray for the seventh time and, and the eighth time and the hundredth time and the thousandth time. Don't, don't give up on six. Don't quit right before God is going to move. And that's often what happens is, is we are at that point where, where we no longer have the strength in our own frame and our own body to be able to see something happen and we're desperate. The only way for God to for God so for the only way for this thing to happen is if God does it and we need him to intervene, but we, we just give up. I guess, guess that's it. I guess that's where we stop. Does everyone know what a hyperlink is? Anyone not know what a hyperlink is? Real quick, hyperlink is, you know, is text in, like on a web page that, that's been, often, you know, it's been highlighted and the coder has put a link in there. If you click on that text, you'll you know, click here for more. And if you click on here, then that takes you somewhere else, right? So, so there's a promise that says click here for more. And if you click here, it's going to take you where you can get more information, right? That is a hyperlink. So our prayers, our most powerful prayers are actually the ones that are hyperlinked to the promises of God. 
When you know and pray the promises of God that he's made throughout Scripture, you can pray with a holy confidence. And there are over 3,000 promises that God has made in Scripture that we can pray. And, and we can pray in line and we can pray in, in, in submission to God's promises and God's truth. Like, for example, one of the prayers that I pray on a regular basis. I'll get to that in just a minute. I got ahead of myself. Sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Which means that because of Christ, because of the work that he did on the cross and by defeating death, rising from the dead, by ascending back into heaven and taking his place at the right hand of the Father and sending the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell in us, because of Christ, the promises of God in Christ for us are yes and amen. That means all of these promises of Scripture that God has made to us are yes and amen because of the work of Jesus Christ. That means because of Jesus' victory, we have victory. Because Jesus defeated sin, we can defeat sin. These are God's gifts to us in Christ, passed down to us, his heirs and co-heirs with Christ. These are two of the biggest spiritual habits that we hope to help people develop here as a church is the habit of Bible reading and the, and the habit of prayer. And one of the greatest ways that we can combine those two is, is if we pray Scripture. What if, what if reading became a for, form of praying and praying became a form of reading? You know, God gave us this gift of his word, and, and God loves his word. It is his truth. It is his story that he has given to us as, as a gift. And I believe that God loves it when we pray his word back to him, when we pray back to him the scripture that he has given to us. When we, from the very bottom of our hearts, are, are praying back to him the word that he gave us in the first place, I think that pleases God's heart. What promise do you need to circle? What promise of God do, do you need to go back into your Bible and just kind of circle and circle and circle? God, you promised this, and, and because you promised this, then, then I believe that this is something that you want to do in my life. One of the promises that I come back to and I pray over and over again is this from Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, where he's talking to Peter, and he says to Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. As a pastor, you know, I, I often have this struggle that I feel like, you know, I, I got to build the church here. Like, there's just, it's, it's on me. It's, it's on me to do something here at 6-8 Church that will build the church. And I just feel like I just kind of have this pressure and this burden on me that, that it's my responsibility. I have to build this church. But Jesus is building the church, not me. Jesus is the one that said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That means that Jesus, who cannot fail when he sets out to do something, Jesus, who, who cannot fail when he says he's going to build the church, will actually build the church. And it's not on my shoulders to see that happen. It's my job to be faithful to the one who's going to make it happen. 
And also, Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That means that there's absolutely nothing the devil can do to defeat the work of building the church of Jesus because the devil is permanently defeated. There's no war going on for victory between Jesus and the devil. The devil is already defeated. Right after he told Peter this, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus can give us the keys because he has the keys. We know because of his work of defeating death and, and, and what he did on the cross that he now holds the keys of life. He holds the keys that set us free from the bondage to sin and death. Jesus can give us the keys as his children because he has the keys. That's one of the promises that I circle back to all the time. I circle it and I come back to it. What promise do you need to circle? When you find that promise that, that, that you need to circle and keep circling, keep circling with your life, come back to it and come back to it and, and just keep coming back to it and, and pray circles around it and pray circles around it. Mechanical engineers tell us about, about flywheels that, that it takes six times the energy, move this out of the way, it takes six times the energy to get the flywheel going than it does to keep it going. So when you're spinning a flywheel, which the, a, lot of, a lot of your cars have a flywheel in it, right? This thing that spins and, and it's a wheel on it that actually helps create more power because, because it's great big gear, right? And once it's going, it creates a lot of power. And, and there, there are some places where there are great big flywheels and, and, these, and, and machinery and, and, you know, bigger than the tables that you're sitting at and weighing thousands and thousands of pounds. And, and it takes a lot of energy to get it around the first time. And it takes a little bit less the second time, a little bit less the third time, a little bit less the fourth time. And then by the time you get to the sixth time around, it takes way six times less energy to keep it spinning. This is something that I've talked about before that we experience here as a church that we are experiencing actually right now is that because of the pandemic and because of 2020, everything in the church just came to a screeching halt. Like the devil just threw a wrench into the gears and the flywheel just stopped spinning altogether. And we've been working and it takes a lot of effort and energy. We've been working for months now to really start to get this flywheel going, just like a lot of church leaders are having to do. The flywheel stopped. Now we got to expend a lot of energy to keep it, to get it going and keep it going. But once it's going, it's hard to stop. Once it's spinning, it's hard to stop. So what flywheel do you need to start spinning what promise do you need to start spinning around and get it to start spinning so that it can keep spinning? We have a glare of cats at the moment. That's what you call a group of cats. A glare. A glare. A glare of cats. Too many. We have five cats at the moment. Our cat had one kitten several months ago, and before we could look up on Google how fast it could happen again, it was happening again. 
To answer your question, yes, we will be fixing that problem in a few weeks. 30 days. We've got 30 days left before we can fix that problem. Well, the mama cat, Grayson, has a superpower. Always has. From, she was a stray that we also picked up. That's apparently what we do. We take in strays. She was a stray that the kids convinced Becky to stop and pick up, and she has always been persistent. Always. It's one of the worst sounds in the world. I can't stand it. Days on end. Hours and hours. You're trying to sit outside, enjoy this beautiful, peaceful serenity that God has put us in out there in the middle of nowhere. It's the worst sound. I don't care what she wants. What I want is for her to shut up. She would whine and whine and whine. And she would just, just. And sometimes we'd let her into the garage. We let her in once. It was the biggest mistake we ever made. Because then she spent the rest of her life sitting by that door just waiting for an opportunity to get in. Now she's been living in the garage for this whole time that she's had kittens because it's wintertime. And people in our family have a, spot, a soft spot for animals and don't think they can survive in the cold of the shop. I was willing to try and just see, you know, let survival of the fittest, see what happens, right? Well, her first kitten, Gus, just like Elisha who came after Elijah and Elijah prayed for a double portion of the, of the spirit that was on Elijah, Gus has received a double portion of the spirit of Grayson. Right now, we have him separated from the other kittens trying to wean him, so he's in the basement by himself, and this morning, sitting at the door, top of the stairs, the instant he heard my steps when I was getting ready, and I open the door, and I pick him up, and take him down in the basement and put him over on the couch. And before I can even turn around, he's already jumped over the couch and ran back up the stairs. Just whining and complaining. And he'll just sit there at the top of the stairs and until he can get someone to open the door. Luke chapter 18. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How about you? Do you have a double portion of persisting and praying circles around God's promises in your life, in your family's life, in your church's life, in your community's life? Do you have a double portion of persistence and and knocking on that door and sitting outside the door of heaven and knocking on it and, and whining outside the door until somebody opens the door? 
A survey made by the National Retail Dry Goods Association reveals the following results. 48% of salesmen make one call and quit. 25% make two calls and quit. 15% make three calls and quit, showing that 88% of salesmen quit after making three calls. But 12% keep on calling. And that 12% who keep on calling do 80% of the business. The 12% who keep on calling do 80% of the business, which means that the 80% who quit after the third call only do 20% of the business. Do you have a deep down desire to achieve? Do you have a deep down desire to, to constantly persist in praying to God and, 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 and getting before the judge so that he can hear your prayers? The truth is it's probably less for Christians. If I had to guess, I'd say it's probably less than 12% of Christians who persist in prayer. It's hard, I'll be honest with you. It's really hard to persist in prayer. It's hard to pray something over and over and over and over again and feel like the, the closest thing you get to an answer is silence. It's, it's hard to pray and pray and expect that God is going to intervene in a situation. And, and, and it seems like all of your requests fall on deaf ears. But I have to keep praying. We have to keep praying. We have to persist in prayer. Jesus said in Luke, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. The answer to these rhetorical questions that Jesus is asking is no. Of course, it's a double negative, so it's hard to understand. But will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? No, God will not not bring about justice. In other words, God will bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? No, he will not keep putting them off. He, he will respond. He will intervene. He will bring about his justice, which is always in line with his will and his desire and his path and plan for your life and for the life of all humanity. He will intervene. He will come to the answer of your calls if we keep calling. So we've got to keep calling. We've got to keep praying. We've got to keep pushing that flywheel. We have to keep crying out to God. We, we cannot stop on six. We have to go to seven or 10,000 times and pray 10,000 more prayers if we have to. We need to persist in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a good Father. You are a good God. You're not torturing us. You're not up in heaven just, just watching us writhe around in pain and enjoying it, but that there is a purpose in the waiting. That there is something that you are doing in us that is good, that is for our eternal good in the moments that are come between the asking and the answering. 
We know that you are a good father and that you are always walking through us and that as we walk through the darkest of valleys and as we walk through the most horrible situations in our life where it seems like there is no possibility that you're going to answer our prayer and we even doubt whether or not you exist, we know that you have a purpose in those moments and that you are working to refine us, you are working to burn off the impurities of our lives so that we may come out of all of these situations more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, in this room, those who are listening, those things that we've been praying for, for for decades, I pray, Father, that you would just give us promises of you, promises of your word that we can circle back to and we can pray circles around those situations with your promises, with your truth, and, and that we can just find the ability through you strengthening us to persist in praying until you answer those prayers. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who seek you with all of our heart no matter what answer comes knowing that you will not do anything for our harm, but that you will do things for our good to build us up in our walk with you. Father, I pray, give us hope in the persistence this morning. For those who are struggling and persisting in prayer, I pray, Father, that you'd give them the hope that you are the God who overcame the grave, that you are the God who has already given victory. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to see the yes and amen promise of the victory of Jesus Christ in this situation that we're struggling with right now. And we ask in faith, believing that for you this is an easy thing, that for you this is something that you can do without any effort at all. To us it might seem impossible, but we know that with you there is no such thing as impossible. All things are possible with you. You exist outside of the confines that are restraining us and our ability to to, to do things, but you are not restrained by those things. You are omnipotent. And you can act and you can intervene and we ask you, Father, intervene. Intervene in these situations that we're struggling with. Intervene in our nation. Intervene in the hearts of people who have gone lukewarm. Intervene in the hearts of people who have walked away and abandoned their faith. I pray, Father, in these neighborhoods surrounding this church for the people who have walked away from you, who have, who have turned their back on you and who are, who are looking towards themselves. I pray, Father, that you would intervene in their path today, that you would intervene in their path this week and that they would find themselves surprised by God and that as a result of being surprised by God, they find themselves drawn to you through the relationships that they have in this church, I pray, Father, use us to reach them in the darkest part of their lives, in the worst day, to shine the light of Jesus Christ and bring hope into the desperate situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.